How's that look? Does that look good? I made it myself. When you make a cake, people are happy, but when you make a PowerPoint, no one seems to care. What if I made a cake and a PowerPoint? What if I made a cake as a PowerPoint where all the slides were on the frosting? Would you like that? I would actually like that. Maybe I should do that. Okay. Exodus chapter 25. Listen to the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to bring me their sacred offerings. Accept the contributions from all whose hearts are moved to offer them. Here's a list of sacred offerings you may accept from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat hair for cloth, tanned ram skins in fine goat skin leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, onyx stones and other gemstones to be set in the ephod and in the priest's chest piece. Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. This is the word of the Lord. I like to try to keep in mind as I'm reading in the Mosaic Covenant that I'm reading types and shadows that have new covenant realities. Old covenant shadows, new covenant realities. So, Just hear some of this passage with a lens to how the apostles would have read it. Here you have God saying, build me a tabernacle. And he he starts by saying, "I I want you to receive an offering of anyone whose heart is so moved to give one. That's already a fascinating idea, isn't it? I'm going to build a temple, but this is, this, I'm going to build a tabernacle. This is going to be different from these mandatory offerings that say, bring a sin offering, bring a fellowship offering. You have to do this. You have to come. This is different. We're going to build something here. This one's all voluntary. So the people's hearts are going to be internally moved to worship. Now, here's the kind of things you can bring. Anything from these lists can be given. Gold, precious stones, fine cloths, oils, fragrances, spices, incenses. All of these things can be given if you are so moved. And then the verse that really stood out to me. Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so, that's purpose, right? So I can live among them. If you were making, if you were writing a book, a novel, if you were writing uh, a script for a movie, you would need a good plot. You would need good character development. And your plot would usually consist of, you know, having some sort of protagonist, some sort of, some sort of protagonist that has a desire. If, if none of the characters have desires, it's going to be a really boring story. There won't be any action. There won't be anything pulling you into caring. So you've got to have a protagonist, a main hero. You've got to have that protagonist driven by something there has to be something standing in the way of that a great conflict and then we have to see how the how the conflict is resolved and the goals achieved or not achieved depending on the story but those are sort of the basic elements of a good story correct maybe okay we'll take that as a maybe several affirmatives 
And I, I think it's a fascinating idea. If you read the Bible as a story, its main character is actually not us, which we might think it would be, but it's not. The main character is God. And any character in a story that doesn't want something shouldn't even be there. They're wasting pages. Right? You, you don't want extra players on the stage. So some, every character has something they're after. And God, interestingly enough, if you were to take just the book of Exodus as who is God, then you would determine that God has one thing that's driving everything he's doing in the story. He wants to find a people with whom he can live, with whom he can dwell, with whom he can abide. That's what's driving God. His dream is, you will be my people and I will be your God. His dream is, I I only have eyes for you and I want you to have only eyes for me. But I don't just want to have a good relationship with you from a distance. I want to come dwell among you. So this is why all the sacrifices, this is why all the commands, this is why all the regulations, this is why all the rituals, this is why all the festivals, this is why all the fastings and feastings. This is why all that stuff. It's to try to find a way to get God and God's people to be able to dwell together. You dig? All right, so he says, build me a tabernacle so that I may dwell among my people. Old covenant, re- old covenant shadows to new covenant realities. All right, so, so much more could be said, but we're not going to. We're going to jump over to Ephesians 2 real quick. Several are jumping. Pardon? Oh, you can't hear the swiping? That's true. I heard a friend recently judge someone for using a phone app as a Bible app instead of a paper Bible, and I was like, that ain't right. You know what I'm saying? Well, I should have known that guy was dirty. He didn't even bring his paper Bible to church. I'm like, that rubbed me wrong. I was like, dude, judge by externals much? Anyway. Isn't that... Oh, that was free. So now, again, listen to the word of the Lord. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming, present tense, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Throughout Exodus, you find God saying, he's giving these really, really, okay, let's, I feel like I'm reading blueprints sometimes. I don't find blueprints very interesting to read. And sometimes when I'm reading blueprints, detailed description of how many measurements, how wide this building should be, how the cloth should be, how the curtain should be, how the hook should be, how the poles should be to carry the box, Sometimes when I'm reading those descriptions, I will admit to you, I I speed read and I skim. Because I'm not building that. But the reality wouldn't be boring at all, would it? 
God likes sights, sounds, smells, and textures. And he's, he's, he's given you blueprints that reading the blueprints isn't all that exciting, but the reality itself would really convey a sense of beauty and holiness, wouldn't it? So sometimes reading the descriptions of what the church is called to be can be boring to some of us. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for works of ministry so that as each part does its work in love, the body is built up and we all reach maturity. Some of us reading that go blah, 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 lots of theology, but the reality lived out is powerful and profound. And and there's this phrase that's repeated much throughout the book of Exodus and it says, see to it that you build everything exactly according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Don't just wing it. Don't just come at it and say, well, I think we should do this instead. And you know, I've been harping on this for a while now, the idea of structure, the New, the New Testament structure of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and then every single person in the body having gifts, using those gifts to serve one another in love, that we can't be a whole body without everybody here, activated, connected. I've been harping on this for a while now. And part of the reason I'm harping on this is because these are the new covenant realities. God was so careful to tell Moses to build the tabernacle exactly according to the heavenly design. But much of the church has not been careful to try to structure ourselves according to the reality that that tabernacle is talking about. Okay. I'm going to say this again. I want to highlight a few things in here. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. As I began to sort of parse out, like, what does that even mean? My first theory was, well, maybe it means the Old Testament prophets testifying to Jesus, and then the New Testament apostles, who were eyewitnesses of Jesus, testifying backwards. So sort of a forward prophecy testimony to Jesus, and then an apostolic historical backward testimony. But if you keep reading a little bit further, down into chapter 3, Paul talks about the gospel was a mystery that was hidden in ages past, But it's been now revealed, and then he says it's been revealed now to God's apostles and prophets. So it seems highly unlikely that what Paul means when he says the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, it's highly unlikely that what he means is the twelve and the Old Testament prophets. It's more likely that what he's actually referring to is what he will unpack when he gets to Ephesians 4. That God's present design is that apostles and prophets, using revelatory gifts, unpack the fullness that is in Jesus, and then the teachers give it explanation, the evangelists give it legs to go out, and the pastors give it a family feel to draw in and connect, and then you, every single one of you, and every, including me, find our place in Christ. Because the whole point of the fivefold is not to get you connected to a leadership team, is it? These people are different ways of being obsessed with Jesus. The goal is every one of us connected to Jesus, and because we're connected to Jesus, connected to Abba and Holy Spirit, and each other. So, that was all good enough for now. All right, moving on. Uh, Next slide, please. I guess I already just talked about that, but let's do a little bit more. I, I can't stress this enough. 
the days, in, the days in, in the days past where everything is about this building on Sundays, we, that's got to be over with. Now, it doesn't mean a lesser role for Sunday's gathering. It actually means a higher role. This is not the place where evangelism happens. This is not the primary place where discipleship happens, though evangelism happens here and discipleship happens. This is not the only place that worship happens. But in years past, the model of ministry was the leaders are the ones with the Holy Spirit and the leaders do the ministry. So your job is to just invite people and then I'll get them saved. I'll, I'll kill them and skin them and, and turn them into rugs or whatever. That sounded terrible. <laughs> it sounded horrible. Let's try a different metaphor some other time. But you get what I'm saying. Like that old, that sort of old American mindset is the preacher, the preacher knows the Bible because I don't know it that good. The preacher has a prayer life because mine's hit or miss. The preacher has the evangelism gift because I'm just little old me. The preacher is the Holy Spirit. Woo, we're going to have a tent. I was driving yesterday and I saw a tent outside of a church that was smaller than the church itself. But somebody got to have a tent because that's tradition. Because when revival season comes, you got to go out and be in a tent. I'm going into the air conditioning. Y'all have your own little meetings out here. Anyway, but there's all sorts of weird, illogical things that we do that are less powerful and less effective than God's design. And God's design is the Spirit's poured out on the whole body of Christ. And leaders are a team of leaders with different gifts. Only one of them is the pastoral gift. And the pastoral gift is not the same as the leadership gifts, by the way. Apostolic and prophetic and teaching have a much higher authority than pastoral. And pastoral is even underneath administration. Administration is right around the tongues area, which is right at the bottom at the same. That's a different conversation. Getting back on point. But the new covenant model is not y'all come here and receive the professional ministry. The new covenant model is y'all come here and we'll get trained. We'll train you together to go out and do the real ministry. Because Jesus' model of ministry isn't y'all come. It's as the Father sent me, so I send you. The, the New Testament ministry model is not one or two priests that have the Holy Spirit during their term of office or a prophet that has you know, the word of the Lord, which is rare, and everyone goes to them to say, I don't know what God's saying. Tell me what God's saying. No, the new covenant is the Spirit is poured out on every believer there is such a thing as leadership. We do gather on Sundays, the Lord's Day, the day of Jesus' resurrection. We do gather in the big meeting for the apostolic teaching and so forth. We also gather house to house. And everyone has the Spirit and everyone has gifts. And, and here's the thing. Until every part is doing its work, not the work the pastor assigns, not the work the administrator declares, but its work, the work Jesus designed you to do, until you're doing what Jesus designed you to do, until you're doing what he dreamed about for millions of years before he ever said, let there be you. Until you're doing that, it's no wonder the body isn't built up to the fullness of what we see we're called to. I told you the story of Ephesians 4.13, how I was like, I don't want to go on and we're never going to get there. And he said, until we all become mature, until we become complete, until we become perfect. And he said, Tim, this is not just a goal that we aim toward and never achieve. This is a historical reality that must happen before Jesus returns. It's going to happen. And how is it going to happen? New wine skins and new wine and the whole body knowing the Lord intimately and doing exactly what they're designed to do. Enough on that. Next slide. 
I, I feel like don't wait till you're drafted is a word all of us need to hear. There's folk up in here who love Jesus. They know they have gifts. They even know where they'd like to contribute and they're waiting for someone to ask them. And I don't know why. Please don't wait until you're drafted. Just get, just get if you can't get permission, just get forgiveness. It's actually faster and easier. Plus, all we're going to do is create a structure around and then take credit. And you're just going to make us look good. You think I'm kidding, and I'm not. Enough on that. Next point. Just try a bunch of stuff and figure out what doesn't work and what works. Come on now. Have you served in literally every area of church life? And like they all aren't, they don't, none of them fit you? Well, then invent some new ones for crying out loud. Teach a Sunday school class. Be a door greeter. I don't know. Go into the kitchen and I don't know. And my favorite quote of called to ministry, you can't even stack chairs. Stack chairs. I don't know. Try a bunch of stuff. When I started out as the lead pastor, I tried to do everything Clint was doing plus everything I wanted to do, and that didn't work too good. So Lamar came to me and said, how about you make a list of everything you're doing and then how it feels to do it and what effect it has on your soul. That's why I'm saying pay attention to your soul. So I made two lists. One of things that energized me that I end up being a better, I end up falling in love with Jesus and growing faster and feeling energized like, wow, I could do this forever and never burn out on the one side. And then all the stuff that I'm doing that is like, I want to kill people after this is over with and I just want to go to bed and sleep and never see people. Something, and what I, the advice Lamar gave me was make the two lists Figure out how you can spend all your time doing the stuff over on the one list that energizes you and delegate the stuff that doesn't to people that it actually energizes them. So I immediately set about to do that. And that is why some of the time I don't do things that people think the pastor should do. That's why. So, next slide. You should do the same thing as what I'm trying to tell you. Do that. Embrace God's design. That's actually what the pay attention to your soul aspect is that I'm trying to say. God's designed you a certain way. He's put his spirit in you and he's put gifts in you. He's put passions in your heart. He's given you a personality. He's given you life experiences. He's given you a unique perspective. And that's not irrelevant. It's not ignore your soul and just do your duty. There's a time and a place for that. But if you're talking about, I have a, you know, it's however your heart is moved, you can offer offer to the Lord anything that's on these precious stones, jewels, cloths, fabrics, any of this stuff. What's on your heart? Isn't that interesting that it says that? If the people's hearts are so moved, your heart, your passion, what lights you up, what makes you get excited about the kingdom, maybe that's the Lord. Just a thought. Yeah, but brother, the heart is desperately wicked beyond all cure. No one can know it. No, that was the unconverted heart that Jeremiah was talking about. Not the new heart. Not the new heart that's been born in Christ Jesus. The new heart that's been born in Christ Jesus has dreams from God that you're meant to follow. Next slide. Okay. Assignment and anointing. Here's the deal. The Holy Spirit has anointed every believer, correct? 1 Corinthians 12, we saw last time I preached that every single believer has gifts from the Holy Spirit, correct? So, the Spirit has given you gifts. Now, what that means is the Spirit has given you mindsets, thinking patterns to achieve something. To achieve God's will on earth. If you look at the Ephesians 2 beautiful passage, it's we are all created in Christ Jesus for good works that God 
planned beforehand. He designed for us uniquely, specifically beforehand, like Cinderella's slipper. It doesn't fit anyone else. It's uniquely for you. And how that works is the anointing is for your assignment. What does that mean if you're not doing your assignment? That means you're not doing something you're anointed for, which means it won't be very sustainable, which means you'll probably burn out, tick off, feel, just won't even be that aptitude of learning curve. Like, I'm not saying that everything you're anointed to do you'll be awesome at right away, but things that you're anointed to do, there will be a rejuvenating, renewing energy for that learning curve to be delightful. And it's not saying, hey, let's avoid doing hard things. No, no, you'll work 50 times harder and you'll be able to sustain perseverance in calamity if you're in the area of assignment and anointing. This is why it's so important to me, why I'm so concerned that each one of us find our calling, have an intimate walk with Abba, intimate walk with Jesus. Out of that place comes heart passions. Out of that place of fellowship, intimate fellowship alone with God, comes heart passions, comes something of value to contribute to others. Notice that even if you're a complete introvert, what you carry is for others. Like Thomas Merton became a Trappist monk. That's the kind of monk that doesn't talk much. Like there's specified times where they're allowed to talk. And then I think he wanted to become an even more um, quiet family of monks. But he ended up impacting the world, especially in the 60s and 70s and 80s and so forth, through his writing, which is crazy to me. Think this through. He leaves society to follow this call of God on his life of radical solitude and staying in a place of peace and, and like getting away from all the stuff that he felt was dragging him down. Some people would say, well, that's cowardice. But guess what happened? He sat in his cabin and he wrote letters to people encouraging them in the way of Jesus and writing books that would shape the view of God and the view of how to live out the kingdom of God for an entire generation. Even the introverts among us have something to contribute. And if he had gone into society directly because it's what he should do, he would have burnt out and made no dent. He made a bigger impact removing himself. That's weird and that's free. Next slide. Okay, yeah, watch this video. Can we show the interview I did with Garth? Oh, yeah, and lights probably, so. Hey, by the way, if this goes off without a hitch, we're going to need to celebrate because gateway and technology, sort of like oil and water. She's like, don't speak that. You will speak life over this house. So why am I saying this? Well, I'm trying to figure out a tool for some of us who are more like how Garth described, like it's not as intuitive to you, like how to figure out what should I be doing with my one life. It's not as easy uh, for everyone. Not everyone's like, I woke up this morning and I knew exactly what I was supposed to do exactly to, you know, for the, for the day. That's been really rare. One time I woke up and the Lord told me to go down to the potter's house. There just happened, there happened to be a place called the potter's house. And there I will give you my word right out of Jeremiah 18. So I did that. That's not every day, guys. Like, I don't wake up with that level of booming voice clarity. So this is a process that's meant to help all of us get some focused clarity. And I would love it if the entire congregation 
took, I'm going to send an email this afternoon that helps give some of the tools on number one. The spiritual gifts, heart, passions, abilities, personality, and experiences. But what I would like as an assignment during our meal, now I know some of you are like, I ain't going to do what you say. If you say it, then I won't do it. But if you say not to do it, then I might do it. So what you don't want to do today during lunch is talk about number two. The second step on God's sort of finding your vision process is as a creative exercise, write your own obituary or write your own retirement address or answer the question, if you could do anything with no one telling you no and everyone helping and no financial limitations, etc., etc., what would you do? That's a hard one for some of us. I was in a circle once where we were supposed to be discussing that. If you could do anything, you're not allowed to tell anybody no. There's no bad ideas. No one's allowed to hear someone's idea and say, that'll never happen. So we got together and we started dreaming. And I shared some of my ideas. And an elder in the church, not at this church, a different church, an elder in the church said, that'll never happen. And it felt like I got kicked in the stomach. Like, isn't that amazing? How someone else not believing in my dream, like physically affected me. Just, I mean, I felt like I got, why even, why even care? And I suspect that some of us are spiritually asleep in certain areas of our life because our dreams were kicked in the head by someone else's words or someone else's lack of of faith. And by the way, uh, what I want people to say about me at my funeral, like that's not on the list, but that's basically like what I was thinking on the, like it's... When Garth and I had lunch and we talked about this first time, that was so easy. I said, I know exactly what I want people to say about me at my funeral. This would, this, I'd be in heaven going, boom. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like Steph Curry shooting from half court. Boom. Like that. That's the feeling I would have. If people at my funeral said, I'm doing what I'm doing because Tim believed in me. That to me is like, that's, that's, my, that's what I want. I want the dreams on y'all's hearts. I want you to go after it. I want you to build that. I want you to serve in that way. I want you to go after those people. I want, whatever it is, I want you to write that book. I want you to go after that calling, that, that job that takes too much school and you don't think you have it in you. I want you to. I want you to do it. I want you to go off to the mission field and be crazy if that's what's in your heart. I want you to be a painter if that's what's in your heart. All right, enough said. Next. We already did that. Next. And Next. Next, next, we're done, okay, awesome, go ahead and stand. So what's the assignment? Whatever you do at lunch, do not talk about your obituary, do not talk about your retirement address that you would give, and do not dream about what you would do if you would never be told no. Don't you dare do that. Just kidding, do that. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much that you are in every believer, that you're in every believer to seal us and to keep drawing us and to lead us into all truth and to reveal Jesus and through Jesus reveal the Father, but you're also in us just to simply direct us into a path that's unique to us. You're in us to release passions in our heart so that we can fulfill what we were made to do. I pray, God, for myself to come awake and to come alive. 
for faith to rise up in our hearts, in my heart, in Jesus' name, that I not listen to those negative voices that are sent from the enemy to stop the gospel's fruitfulness in my life. In Jesus' name, we love you, we need you, and we need each other. And we say thank you that we have you and that we have each other. Amen. Oh, also, there's a baptism in the basement for anyone who's interested. It's going to be Sadie's baptism. And Oren is going to, what's the word? Do the baptism. Yeah. Yeah, dunk her. We're going to dunk that girl.